Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. We continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And we've seen that Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He is the sacrifice and substitute for the sins of the entire world. What we're seeing is Jesus in his final week of his life before he goes to the cross to die and rise again to pay for sin and conquer death. He's come to the temple, and what he does is come daily. He is teaching in the temple. The conflict with the religious leaders, of course, gets greater and greater and will climax as he'll be arrested, tried, and crucified. In this section, what we're seeing is Jesus teaching about the end times. He gives some details about the time that we often call the tribulation, and he talks about that and his second coming. We began looking at this last week and uh, the time of suffering on the earth and, of course, what's going to take place and right before Jesus comes the second time. As we continue this morning. We're going to see more about the tribulation. The goal is to see if we can put all this together so you can understand it. We're going to see that Jesus warns people to be looking and to be ready for Jesus for for his coming. As we study this section, there are three things we want to do. First of all, we want to know how the end times fit together. We want to see the flow, so that's part of it. Then we want to be comforted by God's word because we realize that this is for the tribulation generation and not for us. And then the third thing is be ready to teach others so that they can understand. So there's a lot there. So we may we gain from our passage this morning. You know, when you think about end time events, and of course we're looking at it as we look at these last this last chapter here, especially how much is put together, we find in God's Word there's a lot of confusion sometimes about the comings of Christ. Now you realize that there are, and if you look at it, there are two comings of Jesus Christ to the earth and one coming of Christ in the clouds. Now let's think about it. We saw some of this last time that the first coming of Jesus Christ was to the earth. He came to the earth. He was born in Bethlehem. Uh, he, he grew up, of course, about age 30. He started his ministry. He had a ministry for three, three and a half years. He went to the cross, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, walked on the earth 40 days, and ascended back to heaven. That's the first coming of Jesus Christ. He came as the Savior. There is a second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth, and he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes in power and majesty. It says he comes to to, uh, wage war and to judge. He uh, fulfills his ministry. He comes to rule in righteousness and justice, and uh, he comes as the King of kings, Lord of lords, sets up a kingdom. That's the second coming of Christ. Now, in between these comings, because the first one happened when Jesus came the, the first time, died on the cross, paid for sin. The second one has not happened yet. In between there is a coming in the clouds. And that's where he comes for the church. And this is often called the rapture. It comes from a Latin word, rapio, which means a snatching away. Jesus Christ could come any second and take us, the church, which is the body of Christ, take us off the face of the earth. So understand, a first coming of Christ to die on the cross. Second coming of Christ to reign in between that could happen at any time in the clouds. He does not come to the earth, but he comes in the clouds. We're taken off the face of the earth to be with him. Now understand that when we study Luke 21, when Jesus is talking, he is teaching about his second coming, the end time events there, and his second coming is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So our goal is that we'd be able to understand that. We'd see how the end times fit together. We'd see the flow and be ready to give an answer to others so they can understand it as well. Well, this morning we'll finish Luke 21. And as I said earlier, it's sort of a long passage. You start at verse 20. Uh, well, we started at verse 20. The whole thing begins at verse 5 and goes through verse 38. Last week we started at verse 5 and went through about verse 24. We'll get a little review as we go back, starting at verse 20 and go through the end of the chapter. There's a lot of things there. Now, let's begin. We're seeing the last week of Christ. Just think about it. it, it it's just a matter of a few days before he is, has his, what we call, 
call the, the Last Supper. And then he's arrested, and he's tried, and he's crucified. It's just a matter of a few days. In fact, chapter 22, if you notice, 22 starts by saying, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in which the call the Passover, was approaching. So it's just about time. As we see this last week of Christ's life, he's in the temple daily teaching, proclaiming the good news. I want you to see several things. Now, this morning, a little bit different than normal. We're going to be skipping around. Okay, I mean, We're going to be moving to different passages. We'll stay in Luke 21, but I'll say, look over at Matthew, look over at Revelation. So if you would, go ahead and turn there as quickly as you can, just so you can see the verses. If you would now, just turn back a, a page or two in your Bible to, Revel, to uh, Luke 19. I want you to look at verse 47. This gives us an idea of what's going on. Okay, Luke chapter 19, verse 47, it says this. He was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. Now, here's what's happened. His last week he's teaching. He's teaching daily in the temple. But the religious leaders, they, they don't like him. They want to kill him. Look at chapter 20. Look at verse 1. On one of those days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes with the elders confronted him. So we see that's what's going on. While he's teaching the people, the religious leaders have come and they've confronted him. But I want you to see something that's amazing. Look back again at chapter 19. Look at verse 48. And they could not find anything that they might do. That's religious leaders. Why? For all the people were hanging on every word he said. That was what it was like. Now go ahead and go back to chapter 21. But we saw last time that Jesus is teaching. And and the people are just listening to him. Religious leaders are against him. Now, we saw last time that as we started and got into this passage, he begins to teach about end-time events, about the destruction of the temple, about the tribulation and his second coming. There's a lot that we need to know. Now, let me tell you, we can understand it. Some people say, well, you can't understand end times, and, and you know, it's just the fact Jesus is coming back. But the bottom line is there's a lot of places in the Bible we can go to. We'll talk more about it in a minute, and we can understand it. Let me remind you of what happened. Jesus was in the temple area with his disciples. Best that we can tell from Matthew, the other gospel, that one of the other gospels, Jesus was leaving. As they were going out, they were going to leave and go out the city, go out the eastern gate, down the, the side of Mount Moriah, across the Kidron Valley, and up the hill, which is the Mount of Olives. That was the plan. As they were about to leave, it says that one of the disciples looked at, some of them looked at it and said, wow, look at this temple. It is beautiful. Look how big it is. Look at all the gifts. Look at everything. And Jesus then said, isn't it going to be one of these days? This whole thing will be torn down, not even one stone left upon the other. This Luke doesn't tell us, but they left. Went across, got to the other side, came to the Mount of Olives, got probably at the Garden of Gethsemane where you could look back across at the temple. And it says that while they were there, a couple of the disciples came over to him and they asked him some questions. They said, wait a minute, you said the whole thing's going to be torn down? When's this going to happen? What will be the end of the age? What will be the signs of your coming? So they began to ask Jesus questions about what's it going to be like at the end? Because they knew that he's supposed to be the king. And so they said, what's it going to be like? What will be the end of the age and the signs of your coming? And so what we're finding in chapter 21 is Jesus talks about the end times. Let me give you the chapter. Let me give you the 
little review here. This is what we began seeing last week. This is the chapter uh, we started where Jesus tells of the temple's destruction. That's verses 5 and 6. Then the disciples come raise these questions. When will be the end of the age? What will be the end of the, the sign of your coming? All of that. So then Jesus begins to teach, and he teaches concerning the tribulation. He gives a little overview. He talks about the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Tribulation seven years long. talks about the first three and a half years. Then he talks about the second three and a half years, and he talks about the abomination desolation. We'll talk more about that. Then he gives his warning, telling them to be ready, and then he continues to teach. So that's the flow of the passage. We started last week at verse 5 and went through verse 24. We're going to kind of get back a little bit, get some review, and take up and finish the passage this morning. So watch this. Look, let's go back to 21 verse 5. While some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and bucket gifts, he said... As for these things which you're looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. So there they are. They say, boy, this is great. And he says, hey, it's just a matter of days. The whole thing's going to be, well, not a matter of days. It's going to be a matter of time. This whole thing is going to be torn down. And so he told them this. They then went and got to the other side of the hill, got to the Mount of Olives, and then here's what happened. Verse 7. They questioned him, saying, teacher, When, therefore, will these things happen? What will be the sign when these things take place? Now, the Gospel of Luke doesn't give us all the questions. They just start saying, when's all this going to happen? What's going to be the signs? The Gospel of Matthew says, tell us what it will be like at the end of the age. And when will be your second coming? Or what will be the signs of your coming? Now, but for us to really understand that, I've got a chart for you. I want you to see it. We had this up last week, but I want you to put it together. If you notice, over here is the first coming of Jesus Christ. He came to the earth. He was born in Bethlehem. He lived his perfect life. He died on the cross, paid for sin, was buried, rose again, and ascended back to be with the Father. That is the first coming of Christ. Following that is the church age. That's what we're in now. Now, notice the second coming of Christ comes where he comes to the earth and sets up a kingdom and rules for a thousand years. We call that the millennial. It's a thousand year reign of Christ. First coming of Christ to the earth. Second coming of Christ to the earth. In between, as I said a while ago, there will be a time in which Jesus will come in the clouds. The church, the body of Christ, that's us, will be taken off the face of the earth. That's called the rapture. That could happen at any second. It could happen right now. It could happen anytime. So first coming, he came to die. Second coming, he comes to reign. In between, he comes in the clouds and takes us out. There's going to be a time following the fact that we're gone, call the tribulation, it lasts for seven years, and when they're asking Jesus, what will be the end of the age, what will be the signs of your coming, they're talking about this time period and his second coming. Now let me help that you understand something. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, God made a promise to the nation of Israel. I talked about this last week. But he promised them that they would have 490 years to do the ministry that he had for them. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 8 tells when that time starts. It was a decree to restore and build Jerusalem. From that point, they had 490 years. Now, here's what's amazing. When... At the 483-year mark, they had used up 483 years out of their 490. That's when Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin. That's his first coming. When that happened, because the nation of Israel rejected Jesus, God took his people Israel, who had promised the 490 years, and set them aside. They've got, they used up 483, they still have seven. He now then takes Jews and Gentiles, put them in one body called the church. That's us. He's using us right now. When he takes us out, 
God's going to go back to his people, Israel, and he's going to say, you've got your final seven years. Those final seven years are the tribulation. That's why the tribulation is seven years long. And it's the end of the age of the Jews. It's their That's why they would say, what will it be like at the end of the age? What will it be like at your second coming? So I want you to be able to do that. Now, when you, when you think about the, the end time events, and we've tried to give it to you very simply, but to be able to do this, you really need to go to a number of places in the Scripture that talk about it. Let me just give you some ideas. Matthew 24 and 25, Luke chapter 21, First and Second Thessalonians, the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, Ezekiel, the book of Isaiah, and Zechariah. That's some of the main places. There are other places that talk about it, but those are the main places that over a period of time, as you study the Scripture, you can go to those places, and you'll be able to see how the end times fit together. In this section, all we're focusing on is the tribulation time period and the second coming. Now, let me remind you of something. The tribulation has two parts to it, okay? The first part is called the tribulation. It's the first three and a half years. And then the second part, the last three and a half years, is called the great tribulation. That's how we talk about it. In the first three and a half years, there's going to be a a man of sin come to power, and we'll talk more about it in just a minute, and he will rule. But halfway through, he claims to be God. From then it's great persecution, and we'll talk about what happens then. So just remember that when we're talking about this seven-year time period, it's divided into two parts. Let's see what happens. They say to Jesus, when's it going to be? What's it going to be like at the end of the age? What will be the signs of your coming? And so he begins to teach them. Now, I want you to understand something. The information that he gives in this passage is dealing with the people who are alive in the tribulation. That's why he keeps saying, don't do this, don't forget this, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. He's really reminding these disciples, and we could say reminding us, that this is not for us in that sense. We will not experience this. This is for the generation that goes through the tribulation. Let me remind you of something. Any moment Jesus Christ could come, and take us off the face of the earth. Every one of us who know Christ as Savior, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He'll take you off the face of the earth. Those who are left behind, who have not trusted in Christ, those are the ones that live to go into this tribulation time period. He is writing. This actually is writing. He's explaining to His disciples what's going to happen in the end times, but the people that would benefit from this writing are going to be the people who go through those end times. So this is not for us. So some people, sometimes they get scared and they read these verses and they go, ooh, it's going to be horrible. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, this is not dealing with you. You, the church, the body of Christ, you will be taken off the face of the earth. Okay? Now, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, when we're gone and you're left here, you go, okay, I was left behind. And so what does that mean? That means as quickly as possible, I better trust Christ and run for my life. Because that's what it's going to be like. And we'll talk about it in just a second. Now, let me tell you this. Let's see how the flow goes. He, this is him warning those people. He, and he said, See to it that you're not misled, for many will come in my name. This is verse 8. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near, and do not go after them. Because you'll hear of wars and disturbances. Don't be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. He's talking to the people. Here's what happens. After we're gone... We don't know when, but there's going to be, uh, we don't know how long after we're gone this is going to happen, but the world will be in chaos. There will then be a ten king, do you find this from the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, there will be a ten king federation come together. It will almost be like the world is made up of ten big kingdoms. From those ten kingdoms, there will be three 
come to power. And from those three, there will be one. And that one who comes to power and rules the world is the man we always have called the Antichrist. He's going to come first looking like he's a man of peace. He's going to come, he's going to say, we want to help the world. Everybody needs help. Everything's in chaos. And so he ends up being the world ruler. Halfway through that seven-year time period, he claims to be God. And we'll see more of that in just a minute. At the very beginning of the tribulation... The book of Revelation tells us in chapter 7 that God raises up 144,000 Jewish Christians. They're Jewish people, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. They believe in Jesus Christ and become Christians, and then they begin to evangelize the world. And and, uh, maybe you don't understand this, but in the tribulation, many people will trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Many. So when it starts off, he says, listen, people are going to say, I'm the Christ. Don't listen to him. Jesus Christ has already come, died, and rose again, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Then he goes on to say this. Then he continued by saying, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, plagues, famines. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. That's all going to happen, and the Ten King Federation and all of those things are going to happen. And then look at this. But these things, before all these things will happen, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, bring you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Let me tell you what. Those who are believers, they are to run for their lives. Now, let me tell you what happens. In that first three and a half years, the Antichrist tries to act good. Halfway through, he actually claims to be God and then says this. If you don't have the mark of the beast, there is a mark, 666, found in the book of Revelation. It's called the name of a, the number of a man, 666. They either, you either put it on your hand or on your forehead. If you don't have that, believers won't take it. Unbelievers will. They'll take the mark of the beast so they can buy and sell and follow the beast, the Antichrist. But if a Christian, a believer, won't take the mark of the beast. So he says, if you don't have the mark, he's going to kill you. And when he claims to be God from that point on, he tries to kill everybody who don't have the mark. And so that's what we're going to see. Now notice this. It says, they, they will lay the, before all these things, they'll lay their hands on you, they'll persecute you, they'll deliver you to the synagogues and the prisons, they'll bring you up before kings and governors for my name's sake. This is going to be great persecution. Now, I want you to see something, okay? I've got some verses here that when the Antichrist demands to be worshipped, Matthew 24, 15, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, and Revelation chapter 13. But what I want you to do this morning, be ready, hold your place there, and I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 2. I want you to see where Paul writes about the Antichrist claiming that he is God. So turn over to 2 Thessalonians. If you get over to 1 and 2 Timothy, you've gone too far. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, while you're turning there, I want to tell you something. Remember we said that we're the church, and one of these days Christ is going to come and take us out, and then the tribulation is going to start? The people who lived in Thessalonica, that's the Thessalonians, somebody told them that they had missed the rapture and that they were left on the earth and they were going through the tribulation. And they told Paul that. They said, "Uh, we got left behind. And of course, Paul would say, well, if you're left behind, I'm left behind. But, But what he did is he wrote them a letter 
to remind them that they're not going to be left behind, that this is not the tribulation. And here's what he says. Look at verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, what? The, the tribulation will not come until the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's him. The son of destruction. That's the Antichrist. Now look what it says. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. I just want you to understand. Go back to to Luke chapter 21. But there you see that there's going to come a time when this man claims to be God. And what happens? He surrounds Jerusalem. He puts his idol up in the temple. He claims to be God. He says, you must worship him. If you don't have the mark of the beast, he's going to kill you. He surrounds the city Jerusalem. This event, when he sets up his idol in the temple, in the book of Daniel, it is called the abomination of desolation. That's what it's called. Notice Luke 21 Look at verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize her desolation is near. That's what the sign, what the Antichrist does, is when he puts his idol up at the temple, he surrounds the city Jerusalem, and he begins to want to kill anyone who doesn't have the mark of the beast. And he's, and what, what, what Jesus is saying here is, run for your life. In fact, notice verse 21. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those who are in the midst of the city must leave. Those who are in the country do not enter the city. Because these are the days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. He's saying run for your life. It's powerful. Let me read something for you. You don't have to turn there. Just read, listen to me. This is the, the uh, Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. Look what he says in verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken through Daniel the prophet that let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Those on the housetop don't go back in to get things out of the house. Those who are in the field must not go back to get their cloak. Woe to those who are pregnant. Those who are nursing babies in those days. He's saying run for your life. Look at Luke 21 verse 23. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days for there will be great distress upon the land and the wrath of this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword. They will be led captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now let me tell you what's going to happen. When he puts his idol up in the temple... He begins to surround Jerusalem. All the Christians are running for their lives, especially those in the Judean area, especially those around Jerusalem. They've got to run for their lives because that's where he's going to be. Now, you've all heard of the thing called the Battle of Armageddon. Everybody's talked about it. I want you to understand the Battle of Armageddon, as I taught last week, is actually a campaign of Armageddon. It's not just one battle. It lasts for a long time. It goes over a long period of time, almost the final three and a half years. When he puts his idol up in the temple, the armies begin to gather for war. There's a place in Israel, in the northern part of Israel, called the Valley of Jezreel, the Plain of Jezreel and the Valley of Jezreel. It's a place, a flat place. Right beside it is a mountain called Megiddo. The Hebrew word for mountain is har. 
Har-Megiddo, Har-Megiddon, Armageddon. The name Armageddon comes from the mountain of Megiddo because the battle of Armageddon, or Har-Megiddo, Mount Megiddo, begins in the valley right in front of that mountain. And it stretches all according to the northern part of Israel and stretches all the way down. Armies gather all the way until Jerusalem and they surround the city. The final battle takes place right at Jerusalem because guess who comes to end the battle? Jesus comes to end the battle. So here's what he's saying. He's saying when they see the army surrounded, uh, surrounding Jerusalem, everybody run for your lives. There's going to be great suffering, great problems, great everything. Look at verse 25. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectations of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now here's something a lot of people miss out on. A lot of times people read the book of Revelation or they hear all this and they think the Antichrist is causing all these problems. He's not. He's evil and he wants to kill people. But who is bringing the judgment on the world? It is God bringing the judgment on the world. He has, if you read the book of Revelation, there's seven seals and seven vials and, and uh, seven trumpets. And they all bring judgment. God is bringing judgment on the unbelieving world. The Antichrist is fighting against God and he wants to kill all those who have believed in Jesus. That's what's happening. And we're now right at the end of that seven year tribulation and uh, men will be fainting from fear and all this. Now you've got to see this. Hold your place and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 6. So go all the way to the back of your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 6. Now it's good to go back there because you need to see the scripture. You need to see what it actually says. This gives us a little idea of what it is like when the judgments are coming on the earth. Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 12. Are you ready? And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by the great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and islands were moved out of their places. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they said to and they, say, and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. I want you to see at the very end, people realize, the unbelievers realize that the living God is coming to judge. You understand, at the end, as the armies gather, if you read the book of Revelation, they're not gathering to fight each other. They're gathering to fight God. They're gathering to fight Christ. And what happens? I want you to see it. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 11. Now, one great thing about the truth is we win. We win. And you may say, well, where are we doing all of this? I'll show you. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. And in righteousness, what does he do? He judges and wages war. He's coming to fight. 
His eyes were a flame of fire on his head, or many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe, with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This is Jesus coming the second time to the earth as the king. Remember the first time he came, he came to die. The second time he comes, he comes to reign. Now look at the next verse. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in white linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Guess who that is? That's us. We who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we've been taken off the face of the earth. We've been with him all this time. When he comes back the second time to the earth, we are coming with him. And we're saying to him, you go ahead and handle everything. We'll just be back over here. Because that's what happens. He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And look what it says. From his mouth came a sharp sword, verse 15, so that he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. Look what it is. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the second coming of Christ. Go back to Luke chapter 21. Look at verse 27. This is how Luke describes the second coming of Jesus Christ. Luke 21 verse 27 says, Then they see, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power, with power and great glory. He is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I want to do this. You, you don't have to turn there. I just want to read this to you. This is from Matthew chapter 24. This is the second coming of Christ. Listen to this. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of heavens will be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet that will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes in righteousness and justice to rule and reign. You understand this is going to happen. One of these days you're going to be gone. If you know Christ as Savior, you're going to be gone. We're going to be taken off the face of the earth. We'll be with our Savior Jesus. We'll be rewarded for how we lived and what we did. We'll be in the heavenly places with Him because we'll be with Him seated at the right hand of the Father. Down on this earth, all those things are going to happen. The Antichrist is going to come to power. He's going to make a peace pact with Israel. It'll be seven years. There'll be He'll put His idol up in the temple. He'll claim to be God. Everybody will have to take the mark of the beast. He'll kill all these people. It'll be a great war. And then Jesus comes the second time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we come with Him. This is going to happen on this earth. And watch what he tells the people who are in this generation. Notice he said, But when these things begin to take place, verse 28, When these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. He's writing to the people who are going through the tribulation. He's writing to the believers who are running for their lives. Your redemption is drawing near. You're going to be delivered from all of this. And then look what he goes on to say. He teaches a parable. He said, then he told them this parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Now, when you see a tree and you see the leaves start coming out and everything, you know it won't be long before the summer. Notice. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. When those people who are living at that time, they see the Antichrist. They see the, the, the mark of the beast. 
beast. They see his uh, abomination, desolation. They see the wars and the rumors of wars. They see the Ten King Federation. They see all of these things. They know it's not very long till Jesus comes as the king. That's powerful and that's great truth. Notice what he says. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What generation? It's the generation of the tribulation. He's not talking about these guys he's talking to here because they've already dead. They're already dead. He's not talking to us because we're going to be taken off the face of the earth. He's talking about the people who are living through the tribulation, who are believers, who have trusted in Christ through the tribulation. He says that generation will not pass away until all these things take place. It's going to happen in seven years. Be over just like that. Notice, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You understand that the Word of God is true and accurate and perfect. You can depend on it. And if it talks about a tribulation, if it talks about an antichrist, if it talks about a battle, if it talks about Jerusalem being surrounded, if it talks about a second coming of Christ, if it talks about a judgment, if it talks that He comes to wage war, if it talks about a, I guarantee you every bit of that will be true because heaven and earth is going to pass away, but His Word never passes away. It is always accurate. It is always true. We can depend on it. Now, we'll go quickly through the last because what he does is he gives the warning to these people and he says, watch out and be ready. He's talking to the people in the tribulation. He says, be on guard that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that day will not come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. He's telling those people in the tribulation time period, be ready and understand what's happening. Don't get tied into this world. Don't do all of that because he's going to come. All of this is going to happen. And then he says... But be on the alert at all times, praying that you, may, that you may have the strength to escape these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He's saying pray that you won't die. Pray because there's going, to be a, there's going to be some of them that live all the way through it. And they're going to make it and they'll go into the kingdom. Now many will be killed and they'll still be raised from the dead to go to the kingdom. But he's saying be on the alert. Pray that you'll escape all this. Pray that, that you won't get caught and get killed. And that one day you'll get to stand before the Son of Man. And, and all believers will stand before our Savior. Well, it's a hard passage. And we've talked fast, and we've put it together as fast as we could so you could understand it. But just remember this. They asked Jesus, they said, when, what's going to be the end of the age? What's going to be the signs of your coming? And he told them that one of these days, in fact, he'd already talked about this idea that there's, these, there's going to be this man of sin coming. There will be a seven-year tribulation. The Jewish people will finish out the things that he has given them to do. This man will claim to be king, claim to be God. Try to rule the world. They'll be suffering persecution. But he's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now for all of us in this room, we will never experience any of this. Unless you do not know Christ as your Savior. Because if Jesus came right this second, in the twinkle of an eye, every one of us in this room who know Christ will be gone. I would hope that if he came right this second, there wouldn't be a soul left here. In fact, I would hope that, that in the weeks to come, people would go and say, you know, there's not a single person left that ever went to that countryside church. Because everyone that came had believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. But if you have not trusted in Christ and we're gone, you go into that tribulation time period. And the advice from the Scripture is to believe in Jesus Christ and run for your life. Well, look what he does. That's 
sort of the summary of this. It says then in verse 37, Now during the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount, which is called Olivet, the Mount of Olives. He would teach in the temple, then he would leave and he'd go to the top of the Mount of Olives. There was a little town at the top of the Mount of Olives called, there were two of them, Bethphage and Bethany. And Jesus would often go to Bethany because Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived there, brothers and sisters, and he would go stay with them. So during the day he would teach, during the evening he would go with them. Notice all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. These final two or three days, and that's all we got, he is teaching the people. Now, notice the start of chapter 22, where we're going to be next week. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. Passover is on the 14th day of the first month. This events we've been seeing where Jesus is teaching is either the 11th, 12th, or 13th day of the first month. It's just a day or two before they come get him. Jesus Christ has the Passover meal with his men, and then he dies on the cross on Passover because he is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it's a very powerful thing. In the next couple of weeks, we talked fast today. In the weeks to come, in the next two to three weeks, we're going to probably have to slow down a little bit because you need to understand Passover. You need to understand the feast. You need to understand what was going to happen and what happened with Jesus. You've got to see the trials. Once we get, we're going to see Jesus in the garden and everything and the trials. We're going to see him before the Jews and before the Romans. We're going to see the whole thing in the weeks to come in chapters 22, 23, and 24. We'll see the greatest event in history where God sent his son to die for you and for me and rise again, giving us eternal life simply by faith. What have we seen? Jesus teaches about end times. The tribulation begins with suffering. Halfway through, Antichrist claims to be God. Believers are run for their lives. At the second coming, Jesus comes as the king and rules. He warns this generation to know the signs. The generation that's going to be going through it, know the signs and be ready. And he taught in the temple daily. It's very powerful. Let me give you some applications. First of all, simply put, understand the end time events. That's what we need to do. Understand them. The first big aspect is the whole tribulation. Understand the thing that we call the tribulation. There are two parts to it. If you remember, the first part is the first three and a half years where the Antichrist claims to be a good man and tries to bring peace and all this, but there's war. And then there is the second part. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, go back. Go back. Just stay there. The second part of the, uh, of the uh, tribulation is the, where after he puts his idol up and then there's all the war and all of these things. The big thing, the other big thing to remember about the tribulation is the abomination of desolation when he puts his idol up in the temple claiming to be God and that is, that changes everything. The other part to remember about the end times events is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He comes out of the heavens. He comes in, as first one is he comes in power and glory. He comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Second thing, he comes to reign and to judge he doesn't come just to rule. He comes to judge the unbelieving world. And, and if you ever read the book of Revelation, we did a study in my Sunday school class called The Seven Last Things in the book of Revelation. And it, we deal with those things. And when he comes the second time, it's an amazing what he does. He, he, he sets, a, sets up a kingdom and judges. Here's the second big application. Let's be ready for the return of Christ. Now, in this passage... It's talking about the tribulation generation. This passage actually isn't for us. It's for those who are alive during the tribulation. He tells them what to do. He tells them, don't be pulled by the world. Be watching. Know the signs because he's going to come back and set up the kingdom. Now, an application for us, for the church today, is the next event for us is not tribulation. The next event for us is the rapture where Jesus comes in the clouds and takes us out, and it could happen at any second. Now, what I'm saying is be ready. Be ready for the rapture. 
Be ready. How do you do that? You trust Jesus Christ as Savior. If you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, right where you're sitting right now, you can put your faith in Him as your Savior. You can believe that He died for you on the cross, that He paid for your sins, that He rose again, that He gives you eternal life, and you trust in Him and Him alone, and you have salvation. You become part of the body of Christ, the church, and, and when the rapture comes, you will go, with, go to meet Jesus in the, in the clouds. That's what you have to do. If not, you'll be left behind. And we all know about those books, you know, the the famous series, the Left Behind series. Well, those are fictional books, but they were based off the Bible. They were based off people who had not trusted Christ, and the rapture came, and they were left behind. That's what the books are about, the people who were left behind. You don't want to be in the books. You don't want to be left behind. You want to go with Jesus. The second thing for us who know Christ is let's live godly lives as we await His return. Let's live in such a way that we bring honor and glory to our Savior. So may we be looking for the coming of our Savior as we live godly lives knowing and understanding end-time events. May you be comforted by the end-time events. May you be ready to tell other people about these, how these things fit together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great passage. Thank you for these great truths. Help us to understand it and know it and make application in our lives. Lord, thank you that you have put together in your word these, un- these end-time events that we can understand them. We can understand the first coming, the, the, the church, the rapture, the tribulation, the, the abomination, desolation, the second coming of Christ, the kingdom. We can understand all of these things. Thank you, Lord, for that. Help us, Lord, we realize that when Jesus comes the second time, he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, I, I pray for all of us. First of all, we who know Christ as Savior, that we'd live in such a way we'd bring glory to Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone in the room that doesn't know Christ, I pray, Lord, that they'd be ready if so, and, and trust in Jesus as Savior so that when you come in the clouds, that they would be able to go as well. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Help us to understand them and then share them with other people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.